This episode of Earl Grey is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 180,000 titles for smartphone, tablet, and desktop. To get a free audiobook of your choice and help Trek FM at the same time, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. And also by Enterprise in Space, an international program of the nonprofit National Space Society. Find out how you can help science and education and become a virtual crew member aboard the NSS Enterprise Orbiter by visiting enterpriseinspace.org. Hi, this is Robert O'Reilly. My name is Gowron. Honor to you and your house. You're listening to Trek FM. T.O. Grey Hospital. Welcome to another cup of Earl Grey, Trek FM's dedicated podcast to the next generation. I am your loud host, and I apologize for that because I just got off a of vacation, Richard Marquez, and joining me today is Amy Nelson and Justin Ozer. How are you guys doing today? I'm doing great. I am still enjoying my summer vacation. I am here in Salt Lake City visiting family and friends, but had to take a moment for some Star Trek, so glad to be here. Outstanding. And Justin, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Great to have you know both you and Amy here. Amy, you were out last week, and great to have you here. And this one drops, oh, uh, right before STLV begins, so... Excited about that, and hopefully we will see a lot of our hosts and listeners there. I know we will. Amy's making sure of that. I right? am. I am. I'm, I'm counting <laughs> them up, and we're getting a couple other hosts coming in, so it's going to be great. She's checking really? her list. Yes. Is that something you can say here, or <laughs> should we keep that secret <laughs> oh, for now? I'll, I'll tell you in the turbo lift. Okay. All right. <laughs> we'll find out, but that's is awesome. that is that the water cooler now? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Awesome. Well, typically what we do, what we usually do, we have today we have a special guest and normally one of us are gone, but we're all here. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, we have a special guest today, but first, before we do that, um, we want to do the feedback for the Babel conference. So the Babel conference that we're going to be discussing is Earl Grey 236 and that would be Lost Episodes Part 2. Amy, you want to start us off? Yes. So Wes Huntington says... That version of the neutral zone probably could have convinced Denise Crosby to stay on TNG instead of having Tasha killed off. She really wanted stuff to do instead of just standing there at the tactical station. But I concur with Richard about the other one, that the story could be a book rather than an episode. Yes, thank you, Wes, for your comments. And yeah, I think had Tasha had a little bit more to do, more role to play in the story, she would have stayed. And and that neutral zone had uh, a story for her. It did have more to do and more background for her and even like a little love story. So yeah, I could I could definitely see that. But they discarded this one and we didn't really get that kind of Tasha episode, did we? No, no, we didn't. Mm -mm. <laughs> uh, well, Matthew Bell says, this was such fun. I need to check out the earlier podcast now, which I somehow missed. Must have been a busy week. Some thoughts. 
In the original series Bible, Data was said to have been created by unknown aliens. The author of The Neutral Zone really went to town on this concept, viewing him as more like a synthetic humanoid, complete with internal organs, spinal cord, and everything. More like the Cylons in the reimagined Battlestar Galactica than a robot. Some very TOS ideas in there, with storerooms full of physical supplies, and apparently only one transporter room. Lots of Season 1 TNG episodes failed to show the hugeness of the Enterprise-D, though, so it's hardly unique in that respect. The second spec script was amazing! That's all in caps. <laughs> so thank you, thank you, Matthew. Uh, yeah, I, I guess I didn't think about that, but it does seem like the way that Data was portrayed with you know the spinal cord and the nutrients in his spinal cord, it was something maybe constructed by some some aliens instead of someone like Nuni and Soong. And we're glad you enjoyed the second one. We thought it was kind of convoluted and a little weird, but glad you would have loved to see that one. <laughs> you know, as as you were reading that, I thought of the Milk and Cookies episode that, and I don't want to gross you out, uh, uh, Justin. Oh my God, about, I, haven't I, thought, thinking... <laughs> I haven't had nightmares about that one in <laughs> oh, almost a year. Oh, yep, here it comes. <laughs> yes, but go ahead, go ahead. You were talking about... No, I was just thinking, like, uh, thinking about the spinal cord and everything. I'm like, I could just see the white milk and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Anyway, <clears throat> You'll, you guys will have to go back and look at, uh, listen to that. That one. was that was like a year ago. <laughs> what, what was it? We talked about maybe the origin of Tasha's character in yes, with the alien. Yes. Yeah. That's right. The inspiration in of Tasha yeah, Yard. Yeah. That's yeah. right. Yeah. And we grossed uh, <laughs> really repeatedly. I, I think I had nightmares so. for a couple of weeks, but I I had recovered <laughs> until now. Thank yes. you. Yes, <laughs> flashbacks, <laughs> reoccurring nightmares. Yeah. <laughs> so Christopher Baca said, "I love hearing about stories uh, that were never made, especially in the TNG, DS9, Voyager, Enterprise era, since it um, isn't well documented yet." We have a lot of TOS in Phase Two, which I totally agree. There, they, I, I wish there was more of. Yeah, but it is great that we have these ones for for TNG, and I think, you know, since it's in this, I think, fairly obscure book that we've been taking them from, a lot of listeners haven't heard of it, so, and we've got more. There's probably another 10 in that book we haven't covered, and there's other concepts, so we could be going on for for quite a while, so really glad you're enjoying that. just keep listening. We'll we'll get your fill. (laughs) Definitely. Definitely. Before we start start this uh, episode, we have a special guest, as, as we said before. It is the host of Trek Profiles podcast, John Kerkorian. John, welcome to Earl Grey. Thank you. I, I am your guest. I don't know how special I am, but I will try to make do. But uh, what a treat it is to be here with the full complement of Earl Grey here today. It's like uh, we're at 100% Earl Grey power, right? So I, I'm like the auxiliary power that Scotty's <laughs> given in this one. So I will do my best to, to compliment you guys. Excellent. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> Glad you're here because I love the the Trek Profiles podcast. Yep, it is so good. And you've been on the edge. So I'm old hat hanging out with you and you're a Las Vegas local and looking forward to seeing you at Star Trek Las Vegas. Absolutely. We will be there with bells on. There's going to be just all kinds of craziness and uh, Star Trek lunacy happening, and uh, it's going to be a great time. So I am totally looking forward to it. I'm fully in con mode already. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's one thing to not have to travel. Right. But I, I I still feel that sense of anticipation, right. Just knowing that a week from now I'll be getting into the car and driving, you know, the 20 miles or 15 miles over to the Rio and just getting my Trek on with a, with a bunch of fantastic Trek fans. So it's, it's a very exciting time for sure. Busy time. I tell you, <laughs> or at least for, especially for Star Trek fans. That's for oh, sure. absolutely. <laughs> you know, and it's hey, it's the gathering of the tribe, right? You know, so 
everyone has to get together and, you know, we uh, just uh, get together and talk about the thing we love so much. So it's it's thumbs up all around. So uh, tell us uh, tell us a bit about uh, Trek Profiles. Uh, oh, sure. It's uh, basically what I do is it's a long form interview podcast where I sit down with a Star Trek fan and we explore their fandom uh, with Star Trek. How, how did they discover Star Trek? Basically, what's their origin story? Do they collect? Do they go to conventions? If they collect, what do they collect? Do they cosplay? We start with those kinds of things. And then we talk about episodes that are meaningful to them and why they're meaningful. And and it's interesting because I also ask my guests what they think the best episodes are, in their opinion. And oftentimes the lists aren't the same. And in that discussion, usually a lot of personal stuff comes out and people talk about some pretty interesting things. Uh, about why Star Trek is meaningful to them and how it's affected their life uh, in one way or another, whether it's uh, choices that they've made or things they've discovered about themselves uh, by watching Star Trek. And so uh, what I do is I just really give uh, a fan on every episode the chance to explore that uh, with me, and uh, we see where it takes us. And uh, people have been very forthcoming and shared a lot of interesting stories. And so I think it's really a testament to why this fandom that's been around for 50 some odd years uh, still endures it's because star trek touches people and so that's what i do is i give them a chance to tell those stories uh one-on-one with me uh, on the podcast excellent and i i just want to mention so amy was on an episode with you a little while back right in fact amy was and i also expect that by the time this episode uh, hits the airwaves. Uh, another guest from Trek FM. Why, Justin? I think yes. it will be you. Uh, <laughs> your episode will also be released, and also from Trek FM, uh, Haley on uh, Standard Orbit was also one of my very first guests. Yes, that's right. Excellent. Yeah, we definitely hope listeners will check it out. I think it's an excellent podcast. Amy and I have been on it, so <laughs> you guys should listen to those and all of them actually, because yeah, there's so yeah, many great insights. Good. Yeah. Yeah. Am, am I am I next? Is that it goes Amy and then Justin and then now me? No. Is, if, if you're inviting yourself on, my man, just hit me up and we'll talk. You know, <laughs> you, you got to have a good Star Trek story to tell. You know, that's that's what we do. Tell us your history with Star hey, Trek. You better be careful, man, because that's my show. That's what I do. <laughs> oh, there you go. <laughs> um, yeah, no, it's I. I grew up in New York uh, City, and I grew up watching uh, Star Trek every night. On Channel 11, WPIX, uh, cross-legged on the carpet on a black and white TV that my grandfather had uh, uh, bequeathed to me and uh, was a fan ever since. And I think my very first convention I went to, I was in high school, and I think it was actually a creation convention and uh, in Manhattan, took the subway in. And the thing I remember most from it was uh, Leonard Nimoy reading his poetry. He was big in poetry at that time. So he was doing poetry readings at cons and uh, been a fan ever since. Um, loved it all, you know, but I will say it's it's interesting because there's some episodes that I have not seen since first run broadcast. And I've been doing a disciplined rewatch. And there are some episodes I come across where I'm like, I know I've seen this before, but I have no recollection whatsoever of this at all. <laughs> And then there are some that even though I haven't seen it in maybe 15 or 20 years, it's like I can recite it line by line. So it's very interesting, these gaps that develop. But uh, I'm, a, I'm a big fan and um, just loving all of it, uh, although differently in, in each incarnation uh, for its own. For each, each series has its own charms. Let's just say that. <laughs> Do you lean on a certain uh, series? I'm just 
curious. Oh, that's a good question. You know, I, I was actually thinking about this this morning. Uh, for what a crazy thought to be having. But I was at the gym uh, on the elliptical and the mind was wandering, right? Because I was actually watching a Star Trek episode that wasn't really all that good. So uh, I was kind of thinking about other Star Trek related stuff while I was on the elliptical. And I was trying to think about what makes a good Star Trek episode for me. And it, it typically has to do with exploring and going out uh, and because I was watching a Deep Space Nine, I was watching Deep Space Nine, and I was thinking, you know, there's just something that's, and this is not a criticism, by the way. It's going to sound that way, but it's not. But but there's just something less Star Trekky about sitting somewhere and just sort of having stuff happen around you rather than going out into unexplored space in my head, right? And so there was this idea about boldly going. See, to me, seems very Star Trekky. So I, I like that. Um, and so I, I really enjoyed uh, TOS for that reason. I, I really enjoyed TNG too, um, although I identified less with the characters on TNG than I did with TOS. Um, you know, we can talk about that maybe as we get into the episodes we're going to talk about today and then the topic for today. But, but that to me is much more Star Trek in its way because it's more core uh, to what I think Star Trek is, which is about going out and exploring and seeing what's out there and trying to understand the universe. And as part of that, trying to understand ourselves, you know, humanity um, by doing that, you know. And so that's what I was thinking about on the elliptical this morning. Right? Most people are thinking like, you know, boy, this is really boring, right? I'm sitting there thinking about all this crazy Star Trek stuff. But <laughs> there you go. Not to our listeners. <laughs> I know, right? Yeah, that's everyone that's listening no, to No, I mean, right that's, now. that's great. I mean, that's that's one of the things that we're interested in, like, you know, what does Star Trek do for you and what does it mean? I know in your Trek profiles, it's more like going into it in depth with a fan, but I think for, for us, a lot of the times we're looking at these episodes of the next generation, what do they say? What do they mean to us? And or the connections we can make to our own lives? So actually, uh, John, I, I had approached you to, to, to guest on the show and was interested in what you wanted to talk about. You said you were interested in talking about Romulans. And I think I proposed to you we talk about a couple of season three episodes, The Enemy and The Defector, and you're interested in that. So I, I'm actually just curious first why you're interested in talking about, about Romulans and you know these two episodes in particular. We'll talk about them in, in depth, but you seemed very much interested in those two that I chose because there are a bunch of episodes with Romulans in The Next Generation, not just these two. Sure. Um, and this is not something I've, I've thought completely through, so I'm, I'm happy to be challenged on this and reevaluate my opinion on it. But to me, I think that the Romulans are the most underserved of all the major races in all of Star Trek, right? I mean, there's races that we hear about from time to time that, you know, don't really count, right? You know, there's some race off in the distance. You know, maybe we've seen one, but, you know, who cares? But the Romulans are a constant presence all the way from TOS in all the episodes and all the series. We hear about them, you know, except maybe Voyager. I'm not that um, up on. Uh, yeah, there, there, there are in, in Voyager. Okay. There's, there's, there's one in particular where you do actually see a, a Romulan in season one. But, but I just felt like... You know, we for the Klingons, we got Worf, right? And even though Worf sort of has a different story than your typical Klingon, right? We explored a lot of what it meant to be a Klingon through him. We had a lot of we we've had lots of Vulcans in Star Trek, right? We've had you know Spock, of course. You know, we've had T'Pol, we've had Tuvok, right? So we understand about Vulcans, you know. And I just felt like there was so much to explore with the Romulans that was sort of unexplored, right? We don't. I don't think we ever really understand exactly what they're about. And I think that there's just a lot there that could actually be looked at. 
And so when you said, what do you want to talk about? I said, well, this might be something really interesting to look at to see if maybe together we can sort of piece together something and maybe see what we can figure out about Romulan society based on, I think, the very limited source material in, in a lot of ways. Yeah, it, it is pretty limited on screen. Now, in the, the, the novels, there there is quite a lot of, of depth, probably especially with the Rohansu novels by Diane Duane, which are excellent, and some of the other things that yes. go into. But on screen, yeah, it's, it's kind of like, well, they came from a similar origin to the Vulcans, and they have some arrogance and emotions, and they're deceptive, and that's about it. <laughs> you know, I mean, we get some nuances, I think, in some of these episodes, but you're right, they are kind of underserved despite being mentioned a lot and actually appearing in quite a few i think it's more than 10 percent of the next generation episodes where romulans appear but you don't really learn a whole lot it seems like yeah and you know it's uh, in the episodes that, that we're going to talk about plus maybe also the face of the enemy which is another episode that you know has a lot of romulans in it of course you get this sense that there's really these different factions of romulans you know you get sort of these tell shiar you know loyalist you know, seriously patriotic, very scheming, you know, people. And then you get these, you know, very honorable sort of warrior ethos type Romulans who are in opposition to them in some way. And so I I never really quite got the dynamic of like, who's really running things, right? Is this like a repressive totalitarian society? Or is it like a warrior ethos society that has this this other group that's sort of attached to it. You know, I, I just I just felt like there was a lot there to explore and a lot that we could talk about. Okay. So, I mean, maybe we can uh, start out by talking about each individual episode. So the first one is is the enemy. And I think the core of this episode really is that uh, Jordy gets kind of stranded on this planet where there is a Romulan ship that's crashed. Um, and he sees a, a Romulan survivor and they have kind of this confrontation and kind of come to to work together and that that kind of takes the temperature down on the confrontation uh that that happens toward the end of the episode but it's also the one where Worf refuses to save a Romulan's life uh when he could donate something to that Romulan and I think a bold decision (laughs) the writers decided nope Worf's gonna let him die that's true to character so that's kind of roughly the episode I wanted to see Amy your initial thoughts on the enemy well I really enjoy the Romulans in TNG and in fact so much so that I really wanted uh, Insurrection that third movie to be about Romulans and and to get more because I just felt like I wanted to see more Romulans and to learn more about them is is that why Nemesis is your favorite that and we did get Romulans albeit not our traditional it's Remans (laughs) you know in Nemesis um, but you know, I really wanted, uh, to learn more. And so it's, it's fun to go back and look at the enemy and the defector in season three. Uh, it's pretty awesome that we're getting these episodes so early in the series, you know, and so we get introduced like that there's this major conflict. Yeah. There's a, a no shooting, <laughs> sorry, my words are, <laughs> Uh, where they're, you know, you're, they're not shooting each other. What's that called? I mean, they just have a, yeah, battle. A, a confrontation that doesn't end in, in a battle. No, but they have <laughs> you the mean like treaty. a Cold War? They're, they have a treaty where they're not supposed to shoot at each other. Oh, you're just talking over overall with the treaty yeah, the uh, overall. that they have with yeah. Yeah, not crossing the neutral zone. Anyways, they're not, there's the, some kind of treaty. Yeah, there's, there's, you know? there's not like an active war at this time since, right. what, two centuries before something. Yeah. 
kind of like but that. But they're still yeah. very mysterious and and it seems like that they are they meaning the Romulans are still being taught and this it's their social norm to not want to be any part of the Federation. You know, like and when we see Jordy's down there, he's like, I'm gonna take you as my prisoner. Well, there's not a war, so what do you mean this prisoner? Like, you know, so there's always this thing in the, the Romulan who's in sick bay. It's like, I would rather die than have Klingon blood. You know, it's like there still is this culture within the Romulans that they want nothing to do with any other civilization or any other race. And I think that's interesting to see that um, come out in the enemy through those two characters. Okay. Uh, Richard, your thoughts on... Well, maybe the enemy and just Romulans overall in Next Generation. <laughs> I think I've I think I've already made my opinion earlier on the enemy. I, I, honestly, I, I, it's not it's not my favorite um, episode. I mean, rewatching it again today, uh, you know, it, the whole Worf uh, story just threw me off on the whole entire thing. I mean, I, I get the whole uh, premise of the episode of you know coming together and. You know, and uh, of differences and all that kind of stuff for survival and all that, but it, still, you know, um, it just didn't didn't rub me the right way. Hmm. Um, okay. I absolutely love the Romulans. The whole idea of a society that's, uh, I, you know, I mean, because there's a there's a place like that here in this world. Um, <laughs> the the whole idea of a society or a country that's basically walled off from everywhere from every civilization that's around. Them. I think one of the inspirations in the original series was North Korea. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. I, I, I was, I was going to get to that. Okay. All right. No. No. I, I, I was just trying to make the connection. Go ahead. No. You're good. You're good. <laughs> but I was just saying, like, you know, it's, it's, it's very interesting to, you know, to, to try to get to know a, a civilization that's like, the, or well, yeah, species that's like that, that just wants to wall themselves off. I mean, it's, I mean, it kind of hits home more to me than anyone, um, I, I'm sure, on this network because I'm also part Korean. And my mom's from South Korea. It's it's very it's just very interesting on uh, why you would want to do that and why or uh, why why that society wants to be like that. So it's just it's very. I mean, obviously we know why, but <laughs> but like um, it's it's very interesting. Yeah, I, I wish we got more of the Romans. I really do. I'm in the same boat as uh, Amy. Okay, so yeah, I mean let's let's talk a little bit about what happens in in the enemy because I think that. Like you, you do have these, well, maybe like three different perspectives. So there's the Romulan who's in in sick bay, and you know he needs Worf's help, but he doesn't seem to want it and would rather die than pollute his blood with Klingon filth. He says. Then there's the Centurion Bakra that's on the planet with Jordy, who starts out. I actually made a note. He starts out very shouty, <laughs> Jordy like at, at at the beginning of it, and then you know kind of gradually. He sees that he would rather survive than kind of go through with this philosophy of hostility. And in the end, he kind of, I guess, gives his recommendation to Tomalak that he was treated well. And it seems like there's like a little bit of a turnaround there. And then there's Tomalak, who um, that's his first appearance, actually, on The Next Generation and in, in The Enemy. Um, and he appears in The Defector as as, as well. Um, but But basically... Yeah, there's this confrontation, but it settles down because of, you know, what's happened with, with Jordy. So it seems like there's a couple of different perspectives. I mean, so John, like, what conclusions can we maybe draw about, like, who the Romulans are and, 
you know, some of the flexibility that seems to happen in this episode. Well, it certainly seems to me that this is a case where whatever Bakra was taught in Little Romulan primary school didn't quite match up to the reality of what he was experiencing, right? When he meets Jordy on the planet and, you know, they're they're in this horrible situation and he begins this whole approach of, you know, you are my prisoner. And Jordy's like, oh, a great victory for the Romulan Empire, right? And he sort of treats <laughs> yeah. him in sort of this eye-rolling sort of way, right? You know, the whole time, right? He's just sort of rolling his eyes at him the whole time, right? You know, oh, that again? You're going to pull your disruptor at me again? Dude, come on, right? I'm not sure how successful that actually would have been in the real world <laughs> to, to treat somebody that way. But I, I thought it was interesting to think about that this is probably the first time Bakra has ever talked to anyone who was not a Romulan. Right. Mm -hmm. And so he's really experiencing something new. And I, I was surprised how open he was. Right. That see, he, he could actually turn around in that period of time from someone who's undoubtedly been indoctrinated his entire life um, into someone who was open to a new experience of a new culture. And not a new culture, but just a, a new experience with someone who was not a Romulan. And it was probably quite surprising for him. So I thought it was a very positive, uh, very positive Star Trek message, uh, to be perfectly honest. I thought it was great. Yeah. I, I, and, and like thinking about that, when I first saw this episode and I had seen a couple of movies and up to that point in TNG and just about nothing else in, in Star Trek, my, my first thought was like, oh, so there's been all of this hostility. It's starting to soften. I wonder if they're laying seeds for something to happen like happens with the Klingons where there'll be like a closer alliance or more working together, which on screen never really happens. Actually, in the novels, it doesn't really, but kind of edges toward that. But but that, that that's what I always thought, that maybe they were planting seeds for something like that to happen, but it never really does. Um, and I, I don't know what you guys think about that, Amy. Oh, well, I wanted to go back to something what you said, John. Like, it is a positive message that Jordy and Baccarat, you know, that they are able to work together and find the neutrino beam. And, and it is a very positive message of, you know, changing your perceptions within that short amount of time. But then contrast that to the Romulan who's in sickbay. And again, it's a life and death situation. And he is unwilling to change, even to save his own life. And so you have these two contrasting uh, characteristics of, you know, people in general. You know, some people are in uh, trials and tribulations are going to be able to change their behavior, change their perception, and make something good of it. But... Contrastly, there are others who are will are unwilling to change, and they are going to stick to what they know, no come hell or high water, and they are not going to change. And here, this Romulan dies because he's unwilling to accept the circumstances that are in place and to change his ment his mentality of Klingons and of aliens. So do you think that there's something inherent to how these these two people would see those situations so that it was flipped around, they would act maybe in an opposite way, <laughs> right? Then like if the Romulan and Sickbay was instead Bakra and you know the Romulan Sickbay was on the planet, would they have the opposite reactions to what the people that were actually there did? Is it something inherent in their character or is it the situation? Yeah, I, w I was thinking about that. Like, maybe it's because down on the planet, you know, Jordi and Baccarat are together and it's only them. 
And when you're up on the ship with sick bay, well, maybe there's a chance that, you know, Crusher could save me or that, you know, they're medical or Worf's like, well, maybe, you know, they can find someone else. And there's, there's these outside influences and maybe with the Romulan being on the ship feels much more like a prisoner than he, you know, he's not, but you know, maybe those external influences might have had a play on his uh, actions. Or maybe there's something with it being Worf. Maybe there's just such an ingrained hatred of Klingons that if it was even Worf and Bakra on the planet that he would still be hostile because Klingons are so different and they're not even... They've had all these other conflicts. Like the Federation, you know, had this war with with the Romulans and came to some kind of detente over that. But But the get the sense that the Klingons and Romulans... Okay, there is the sense also that they've been allies and things like that, but there's this deep hatred of them at this point. And I just wonder if there's something with Worf being there that 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 does something that maybe if it was a human donor, if Worf was on the planet, maybe it would be different. I just I, I'm just trying to to figure out if there's something like inherent in the situation or in who these people really are. <laughs> you know, each individual. Well, I think you're right, Jess, and I think being on the ship uh, in that environment, that Romulan, he clearly thought, I've been captured, right? I'm a prisoner. I'm here. And so that's going to inform how he responds to that situation, right? Because I'm sure that, you know, in uh, whatever training they get or whatever they're told, right, they're, they're, they're undoubtedly being told that being captured is a, is a very dishonorable thing. We see that right back to the TOS episodes where, you know, they would blow up their ships rather than be captured. So being captured is like the worst possible thing. So to be captured and then, you know, in his Romulan mind to be further dishonored by, you know, having Klingon, a Klingon save him, I, I, I that's like the worst possible yeah. thing. I mean, and, and you know, it, as I was watching the episode, I was thinking, suppose Worf did it, right? Suppose Worf gave him the blood. I think the guy would just like, you know, they'd prop him up. He'd go back to the Romulan ship and then like off himself or something, you know, out of dishonor, yeah. right? I mean, I, I don't think there was any saving that guy. Yeah, maybe he has a tablet in his boot like a guy in the defector. You know? Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, and I I think either way, whether it's which Romulan or which circumstances, I still think that the message comes through that it's like, you know, how are you going to be in life or death situations? How are you going to uh, change or not change your preconceived notions of other people, people who are different? You know, I think that's the... Uh, not the only, but one of the messages that we see from these two Romulans, like how do we face people who are different and when we have been trained to look at someone a specific way. But that's ultimately what I really dislike about how Worf handled it. You know what I mean? Mm. Like it's just, it. maybe if they, he, he would have tried to help him out or they saw the error in his judgment from you know, granted, yes, I understand his parents were killed by Romulans, a Romulan attack and everything. But at the same time, it's like, if you're going to uphold these Federation values and morals and be a part of that uniform and that ship, then really wouldn't you try to help them? And then have that, it, it, it basically have that Romulan be like, well, why did you help me? You'd rather die. And, you know, and then show his um, ignorance and, and all that kind of stuff after you saved him. I mean, that's, that's what, that's what really bothers me about the episode. Yeah, and I love how Beverly is like, but this Romulan didn't kill your parents, you know? Right. 
Yeah, exactly. But, but but I I actually think they made the right decision. It does feel true to Worf's character that there are some things that are going to override how he feels about his oath to Starfleet, and you see that at at other times, like it, it does happen later, like in Redemption, where it's like. I'm going to join this civil war. I'm resigning right now, and I'm yep. just going to I'm have gonna to deal with it. I'm going to take off so. my communicator badge and go kill Doros. Or that know? too, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, there, there, there are these times where like, Worf tries to do things within his oath to Starfleet, but there are other times where things override, and it does feel true to character that he would see the group of people that killed his parents as you know that that he's she's just not going to he can't go there it's like i think intellectually he can see that but there's something like emotionally within himself that he just can't do that but at the same time if picard had ordered him he would do it but if picard's not ordering him he can't bring himself to do that like of his own choice but it would have been a great character development had he had been ordered to do that and then actually see Hmm. that romulan how he is after he after he was in a sense forced to uh, be saved by uh, by Worf, you know what I mean? Like I I feel like that that would be a bigger message than than what we got really in the enemy. I mean, not 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 trying to say that the whole um, the story with Jordi and uh, Bakra <laughs> is you know ha- has no bearing or or, or anything like that on you know uh, being peaceful with each other, but at the same time, it's like. I think that someone, you know, trying trying to basically extend your hand of friendship and um and try to help that person that doesn't even like you, you know, just to just to see just to make that kind of connection um in the story, or at least that's how I I, I thought that was far more. I think that's far more powerful. Okay. Um, to do something like that. Maybe I'm reading too much into it, but my interpretation of the scene, the way that Dorn was playing it, was that it looked like he wanted Picard to order him to do it. Hmm. Mm-hmm. He just, but he wouldn't ask him to do it, and he wouldn't volunteer to do it. But he wanted the captain to order him to do it, and the captain didn't do it because that would get him out of his dilemma. Yeah, he you know because he wants to satisfy these competing demands. You know, but the thing I always say about Worf whenever he comes up in any episode is he wants to be more Klingon than the Klingons, right? And yeah. he you know holds himself up to these ridiculous standards that the other Klingons don't really do because we've seen other Klingons, you know, in extensive detail in many episodes. And he, um, I think, you know, sees that as the out, right? Don't, don't, I won't volunteer, but you can order me. And therefore I'm being true to my Klingonness and I'm doing this thing that you want me to do. And it gets you, you know, you're, you're, you're covered. I'm covered. We're all covered. So please give me the order. I'm not going to ask you to do it. And then he doesn't do it. I think he, was surprised by that. Now that might be me reading too much into the scene, but that's how I took it um, based on how Dorn portrayed it. I thought I could see that. I could definitely see that. Yeah. So, so one other thing I, I was interested to talk about in the episode is, is Tomalok <laughs> who's trying to have this deception that there was a one man craft and there's really two there. And I always find Tomalok to be an interesting character. The real Tomalok's only in a couple of episodes, but basically, you know, when, when he first comes on and you see him with Picard, it's like, oh, Captain Picard, if I had known you were there, I would have told you I was going to cross the neutral zone. He always has like this fake polite manner to him. Um, and and he often does use deception in this way. And that's one of the things we haven't talked about as much, but the Romulans often seem to like to use some sort of, of deception. That's There's a more elaborate one in, in the defector, but... Like, what do you guys think about, you know, how we see this deception or trying to, like, put on a certain way of being that Tomalak has that you can just see right through that he really just 
has hatred, I think, but he has this like polite facade. Ne- never tell the truth when a lie will do. <laughs> that that seems to be the Romulan way, as far as I can tell. It's also Garrick's philosophy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Lying is a muscle. You gotta, you gotta, you know, just use it. <laughs> you know, and this is, I, I know, uh, Justin, earlier you, you mentioned the, the Diane Duane novels, right? And there's a whole mythology that's in those books and a whole history, you know. So if any listeners out there, you know, if you want to, dive into this those those books tell the story of back on Vulcan in the day and what happened and all that you know it's all non-canon stuff but it's a certainly an interesting project and very well written and very enjoyable so I would definitely endorse them but what we do know from the primary material and and this is you know from Enterprise right we get a little bit during the Vulcan arc in that show about the the Romulans we know that that they separated off and they they left Vulcan you know and and my feeling is that whatever happened on Vulcan is that the Romulans said, we don't want any part of this, right? Who The group that became the Romulans said, you know, and it, it could might be the, the logic of Sorak, you know, or whatever other thing might be happening. But they said, we have had enough of this. We want no part of this. If they were in the superior position, they wouldn't have left, right? If they thought that whatever yeah. was happening on Vulcan was going to go their way, they'd have wiped out the other guys, right? But they clearly saw that the tide was against them. So my feeling about it, and this is just me speculating here, is that they really must have organized in secret and secrecy must have been a part of the culture that that tribe or group developed to get out of there uh, and to escape and to go to what the Federation calls Romulus and Remus, which they probably don't. But it has to have been something in that culture of that group that developed uh, to say, look, you know, this whole society is going a bad way. You know, we don't agree. We're out of here. And just like, you know, New York was founded by the Dutch who wanted to engage in commerce. And here we are, you know, over 200 years later, New York is still very much the way the Dutch founded it. Right. I think the same thing must be true with the Romulans. You know, they had this sense of uh, secrecy. You know, we have to have our secret escape plan to get out of Vulcan, you know, and we're not going to tell the truth. We're going to play go along get along until we can get get out of here and then when they finally did it they just kept that culture alive i would think you know it's very speculative and you know i i I don't know what what do y'all think Mm -hmm. but that probably goes along with what richard was talking about kind of walling off your your society because you had this experience with these people that you didn't get along with and you just want to kind of be away from that and all that other that other influence but what do you think richard about the kind of the deception that seems to be a part of what Romulans do. Just like all adversaries, you don't tell the uh, the other adversary everything. I mean, it's yeah. like playing a game of poker. You don't tell them what you're, what's in your hand either. I mean, it's I mean, it's typical for someone that's been I guess um, isolated for uh, for a long time from everyone else. You don't trust the other sign and yeah, it's t- I, I think it's atypical. Yeah. <laughs> Amy Yeah, I really like what you said, John, about that. And it sort of makes me uh, think about just America's history and sort of how that started. Like when I think about like the pioneer and the westward movement, like and then you've got all this, the cowboy way and the lawlessness of it all. Well, it's like, well, who's going to go and explore these, you know, someone who's already has an adventurous spirit, someone who might be running from the law. So they're already going to be breaking the law. And, you know, and so I look at that and it's like the people coming out to the West, like 
the houses and the area, it's very large because they want their own space. And that's just inherent in people moving west and away from the city, you know. And and so I can see that very much when you say Romulans that, yeah, they didn't have the upper hand, that they had to leave. And so they're going to be more just, we want to be by ourselves, isolationists, don't mess with anyone. And yeah, that secrecy of we need to do, get away safely without them knowing. And that was just going to be inherent in their culture that's going to stick because that's where they came from originally. So yeah, I, I really, I'm digging that actually. Okay. Can I just say one one parting yeah, shot about the enemy? Uh, and this is just something that annoyed me in the episode. It has nothing to do with the Romulans. But when Jordy's down on the planet and he, and he uh, detects the neutrino beam, he says, Wesley Crusher. And I think, how would you know that? <laughs> like, no one else on the ship is smart enough to have thought of this. And it's just it just really irked me. <laughs> and, and, you know, jordy has been on the ship with Wesley for a couple of years. He knows that if Wesley's around, he usually saves the day. So, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it, it, he is jumping to a conclusion a little bit. Could have been like, Ridge Barclay. <laughs> oh. <laughs> that was him. But it was before we saw Ridge. But anyway, <laughs> go ahead. <laughs> okay, can we say one more thing that I was watching the enemy and I'm like, really, do we need all this? Okay, first of all, Jordy is covered in mud the whole time. So kudos to LeVar Burton. Yeah, I was like, LeVar Burton this. is like swimming in mud and like yeah. all caked and stuff. I'm so like, wow. He fashions, you know, these metal spikes to climb up out of the hole. And I'm like, this is great. I mean, he's nearby where his landing party, you know, got beamed away. But then we see him scaling this waterfall wall. <laughs> and I'm like, he he didn't do that to get where he was. I was like, really? This is just adding extra drama and No, it is true. It makes it seem like he's really far away because before they had to beam yeah. back, he had only maybe like 10 minutes or something. Exactly. And I'm like, dude, you were just right there. So You've ruined why my illusion, you? Amy. <laughs> I know. I just saw that and I was like, really? Uh, so no, that right. was my nitpick for the enemy. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so let's go on to the the defector now. So this is an episode that happened just a couple of weeks later, three episodes later. So another episode focused on the Romulans. So so basically in, in this one, there's uh, a scout ship that's under attack by a Romulan warbird. Uh, the uh, Enterprise extends its shields, the warbird kind of goes away, and they beam this guy on board, who at first claims to be a logistics clerk, I guess, a sub-lieutenant, um, and then he has information to be able to stop a war. And you find out in the course of this episode, he's really this well-known admiral responsible for what the Federation thinks are, are massacres, and, and that in the end, there's been this whole elaborate deception to feed him disinformation uh, and basically to, to test his his loyalty. So there's, I mean, in this episode, like the Romulans are going to a huge length to test this guy's loyalty that they find out in the end. And in the end, it's it. I, I really feel for the guy and I feel sad because he feels like it's all been for nothing. He's never going to see his family and he commits suicide. So... And of course, at the end, you know, he writes that letter to his family that may never be delivered, which is another indicator there. I thought, oh, are they trying to say that someday he will see in one of these series that they can do that? But but anyway, I think it's a really interesting episode. I just wanted to get initial thoughts on the on the episode, uh, John. 
No discussion of the defector could be complete without acknowledging the incredible performance of James Sloy in, in the role. I mean, oh, the, yeah. you know, he just seriously brought a a gravitas and a dignity to the role that just really made the whole episode. And it, it really is a case where I couldn't imagine any other person playing that that character at that point, you know, because he just brought such a sense to it of of what this guy was that it just made the whole episode for me um i I would be more than happy to just watch him you know read out of the phone book absolutely well and i and i'll just make a mention i think it's great that this isn't the only time we we see him right you know we see him as dr moore on deep space nine as detrell on voyager and even chemtar in in firstborn and he does bring this you're right gravitas to the role and the seriousness and he's just it's just wonderful that he got to play this role in and the others, you're right. But, uh, you know, turn, turning to the in-universe part of it, um, it, I think it continues on very well from the enemy in that the Romulans concoct this entire preposterous chain of events merely to catch a guy, right? And you just think, why? What, what kind of resources went into putting on this, this fake... Uh, thing where they got this admiral and they're feeding him all this fake information. I mean, they had to have squadrons of people making up false reports and then someone to, you know, actually do his job that he was supposed to be doing. And, and I mean, the, the, the size of the I deception. Mean, he must be a really important admiral and they had to make really sure, I guess. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> the size of the deception, if you think about it, because you know, this went on for months, it's just preposterous. And you think to yourself, is this really what the Romulans do? Man, they really love these elaborate plots. And Maybe they have like a whole loyalty testing division that does this stuff all the time. They have to have, right? I mean, this can't be, and this cannot be something that's done unusually, right? This has to be, yeah. some, this has to be normal course of business for them in, in some way, right? Um, which then begs the question, well, why in the world wouldn't he have suspected something like this, right? If, if it is something they ordinarily do, I, I don't know. But... It just seemed to me an, another example of of the Romulans really dig deception. They really like guile. They really like trickery. And they really do like to hold back. Yeah. But Picard ends up winning the day with his own deception. Yes, he does. <laughs> that the Klingon ships are there, which is interesting. That's right. <laughs> Amy, what do you think about the defector? When I was thinking about this deception that the Romulans are doing, and I sort of see it as a twofer, like they are testing the loyalty of the Romulan, and they are also going to see how the Federation responds, which will mm. then give them so much more information, you know? So I I see it as a twofer. So I think that it is warranted. And what makes it a little bit more warranted is because in my mind, I'm seeing that this Romulan, like he has to go through this test because they want to move him up, maybe up in the ranks. Like maybe he's been such a good admiral that they're going to initiate him and consider him to be in the Tal Shiar. Or maybe they're going to put him up in the high council, you know, the Romulus council. Um, so in my mind, I'm thinking, man, they're testing him. And so it's going to warrant all of this elaborate scheming uh, to test this Romulan and to see how the Federation is going to respond. You know, so in case something in the future that probably will happen, we're going to know how they're going to respond with any type of information. Although I think they do say in the episode before they start all of this testing that there were some, there was something that he was against or or there was some friction before they started 
kind of with this elaborate plot, but, but yeah, may, maybe they would do something like that. Go ahead, Richard. Yeah. That's what I, that's what I thought it was going to be instead of, instead of like uh, what Amy said, move them forward or move them up in the ranks into another organization. I was thinking that, you know, typically like what we always hear about uh, government regimes and all that kind of stuff saying like, they get rid of people that are that don't have the same interests as the higher ups. Like if you're they they want you to decimate an entire outpost or something like that. Um, they want you to go in there willingly, blindly, and just do it. Versus, oh wait, I have some reservations about this. Um, I disagree with this and this and this. And be like, whoa, 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 that's not what we. That's not the kind of person we want on the front line, sort of thing. And that's what I was thinking about this whole entire thing. Is like you know. I mean, I, I don't. I mean, uh, don't get me wrong. This episode, I absolutely love this episode. <laughs> it's one. It's one. It's not, well, not my favorite, but it's 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 up there. But like the the performance that on that he did on this, it's just it's it's fantastic. And the whole uh, the whole idea that they would be willing to to test an admiral's loyalty to go that far to be like, well, let's see how far we can push this guy. Um, it's, 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 it's very elaborate. It's, it's got a lot of, a lot of work to do to, uh, to do something like that. And I was just thinking of, um, what was that DS9 episode? Is it Senator Kretak? The, the, the Senator that they tried to get out? Um, it, are you talking it's a for, fake uh, guy? to inner? No, 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 no. He's talking uh, about inner arma enum silent legacy. So that one where you see that guy they were trying to it was it was a Bashir in, Je- in section 31 where yeah, he yeah, went yeah. to Romulus. That's the one, yeah, arma. that one. Yeah. Yeah, is that what it, yeah. is that what the episode's called? Inner Arma and Silent Legacy. Yep, <laughs> nice and long okay. Latin title. <laughs> I was just thinking about that. It's like you know they were going to so. I mean, obviously we see the the the, the same theme, um, and I'm mm-hmm. glad that they uh, they keep doing that. But I mean, this obviously really started it. But like it's just it's just amazing on how how far they're willing to go to make create these false uh, basically reports. But, but you know what I was there. reminded of when I was watching the Defector was duet because you have this guy show up mm. and he says that. He's there for one reason, but then that he's someone else, but it really turns out to be a different reason. Mm-hmm. There's this thing that happens where you're presented with, there's this person for this reason, but it turns out to be something else. So it made me think of of that, but I think they do it really well in this episode because I don't know if the first time I saw it that I really suspected he was someone else. I thought that he was just in on some kind of deception, right? And that maybe he was actually this guy, but yeah. Uh, yeah, they did a really good job. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, I guess, I, I mean, I think in Admiral Jarrock is, is an interesting character because you end up feeling pretty sympathetic uh, toward him. And he he's somebody that I think we rarely see in a Romulan where it's it's like, I feel so strongly about this that... We need to not have have another war, um, and my daughter needs to grow up. I think he talks about which makes it even more sympathetic that he's willing to actually defect. So this tells you, I think, that there's something within the Romulan character that, under some circumstances, might allow them to do something that could possibly lead to some kind of progress or peace or I don't know something in 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 the future. So I think it says it's just the one guy, but. But he is someone who is very important and had been indoctrinated in all of this stuff. I mean, he does say at one point, like, I won't, I'm not a traitor. I'm trying to stop a war, so I won't give you all this information. But in the end, Picard convinces him to actually give them all that information. So he goes so much further than we usually see. I mean, what does that really say about, you know, the the possibility? Because I think just between these two episodes, The Enemy and The Defector, we do see a couple of different kind of 
parts of the spectrum of, of who a Romulan can be, which I think is, is really nice. But like, what is it, what does this guy Jerox say about, you know, what's possible with the Romulans or who they are? Well, I, I think it goes back to something we were talking about earlier in that there's really, it seems to me to be these two factions in, in Romulan society that we see, right? Which is really clearly delineated in, in the third episode we were just mentioning, The Face of the Enemy, where you have sort of these Tal Shiar nationalist psychos, right, on one side, mm. <laughs> and then you have sort of the, you know, the the true, you know, quote unquote, true warriors, you know, who are honorable, you know, who live for the empire, but they're not crazy, right? You know, like, the, and that's the captain of the, the ship in that episode, right? And clearly, Jarok is with that group, right? He's not with the Tomalak Tal Shiar crowd, right? And I don't know what, I don't know if that's the right dividing line to separate them, but that's my interpretation of it, right? And he sees this other uh, group that's doing something that's not in the best interest of the empire, so he's going to try to fix it. And uh, but the the part of it that I seized up on a little bit was what did he think was going to happen? That did he really think he was going to be able to pull off a a defection like this and just claim to be a clerk? And I, I I don't know. It seemed just to me to his his expectations were not calibrated appropriately. Yeah, I mean, I I do question that sometimes. Like, what did he expect? But. I think he does say that he wanted to do that because if he had said he was Admiral Jarok, they'd be like, oh, you're the guy who was responsible for such and such a massacre and we're not going to trust you anyway. But I mean, of course, in the end, it backfires because they're not going to trust him because things aren't adding up, right? So, and, and, and I don't know if he really had a fully thought out plan. Like in a way, it seems like it was almost an impulsive move. Like there was an emotional thing within him that that was like, oh my God, I really need to to stop this. What can I do? You know, maybe my only option is this. I don't know how it's going to work. And he just kind of goes. It seems like a very impulsive decision, doesn't it? It does. And that's why it's sort of weird that it's like he's so, I'm going to tell you ABC and no more. Like that's what he's thinking in his mind. And I'm with you, John. It's like, well, what do you think? You're going to have to reveal all. Like they're not just going to trust you and say, oh, you're telling us A, B, and C? Well, we'll just take your word for it, you know? And I'm like, why didn't he think through it? And especially if he's a logistic clerk, like the logistics of coming to someone, giving them important information, it's got to be verified and there's no way for, you know, them to verify unless you give more information. And so it just didn't even seem like he played it out in his mind. And so that sometimes just threw me off. I'm like, dude, why are you saying trust me? And then yet still holding secrets and it, yeah. You know, there's there's something actually really interesting about this episode, and I always forget about it. So there is a scene at the beginning with Picard and Data doing a Shakespeare scene from Henry right. V, right? And and when I watch this episode, sometimes I think that Jarok is like a like a Shakespearean tragic kind of figure that mm. he's he's you feel sympathetic toward him. He's trying to do this thing, but it's it, it's not possible that it's going to succeed because it was doomed to failure from the outset. So he seems like very much a tragic figure and somebody you can be sympathetic with, which I think we do see a few times in in uh, in TNG where, you know, you can be sympathetic toward a Romulan character. But I just thought that was really interesting. And they thread, Picard threads through in talking about this Shakespeare scene and all of that. So he seems like he's kind of in this Shakespearean mold. And I don't know if things would actually happen that way, but he's meant to be like this tragic figure, it seems. Did uh, did you notice in your uh, prep for this that they originally had a different scene written at the beginning? Did, did you guys see this? 
I remember reading about that, but I forget what the scene was. What did they? They, they, they had originally written some more Sherlock Holmes stuff, but they'd gotten in trouble uh-huh. with the Holmes estate because they didn't have the right clearance. So, like, it was one of these cases where, like, three days before shooting, they're like, you know, tear out pages one through ten and come up with something new. <laughs> and, and is that is that is that why Patrick Stewart plays one of the the Shakespearean characters? That, that I'm not sure, but it, it it is absolutely true that they had this whole other scene written with some wow. more Sherlock Holmes stuff, and then at the last minute they had to rip it out and, and put in something new. And hmm. and and since we're talking about the the production, I just want to say I, I'm really glad that this episode had Troy in it. Because, you know, if, if they'd come up, if they'd have come up with some uh, excuse to not have her around, could it would have been too convenient to not have the empath there to verify what he was saying? You know, it just it, it, I think it would have been a, a mark against the episode. So it was good that she was there to say, no, no, he's telling the truth. He's holding things back, but he's he is telling the truth. You yeah, know? definitely. So I, I thought that was good. Well, you always get uh, Amy's vote of approval and saying absolutely. That. <laughs> yep. Good to see Troy in her element. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> well, it's always, you know, she's off attending a conference at the exact moment where her, you know, powers would have been at their most useful, right? Yeah. Just like every time you want to eject the warp core, the ejection system is offline approximately 100% yeah. of the time. Except in Voyager. <laughs> <laughs> they right. do actually eject the warp core once, twice. I don't remember. A few yeah. times. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, always in TNG, you can't eject the warp core. That's true. Yeah, so I, I mean, we we've talked we talked about the enemy a lot. We talked about the defector. I mean, you brought in a couple of things about facing the enemy, which is another interesting episode. Do we have other uh, thoughts about the the defector, what it says about Romulans, or anything about what John said about facing the enemy? Yeah, it seems well, and I just wanted to bring that we get to see Tomalak at the end of the defector too. We do, you know? yeah. And so that masterful play between Tomalak and Picard is just continued from the enemy, even mm-hmm. I think just a little bit more so because Tomalak he feels he's got the upper hand. I mean, the he's whole very, time... He's very... I wrote in my notes, smug. He's very, yes. very smug. I mean, the whole time that he's talking to Picard, well, you crossed in, you know, and now you're in the wrong, and he's got this little... It says something like, I'll take the broken hull of the Enterprise and display it on Romulus. It's very... Yes, for generations to inspire <laughs> our people, you know. And he's sort of... He smiles, but then tries to, you know, stay straight-faced and... Tomalak is enjoying this completely, and I think this is why this elaborate scheme is warranted, because now he's going to have the upper hand with, you know, Picard, get the Enterprise, the flagship of the Federation, you know, and and so for Tomalak, it's all of these things coming together, we're testing the loyalty, we're seeing the response, and I get the Enterprise, like this scheme now has a purpose and is warranted and this is why you know at that very last bit of the episode we get to see that i actually have a question so i mean there is that confrontation at the end where you know i think at that point it's it's the enterprise and two or three two klingon ships oh Klingon ships two and then Romulans two, two and Romulan three warbirds. Klingons, yeah. Maybe it's three Klingons. And, but anyway, so they're outnumbered at that point. But like, would the right decision from the Romulan perspective be for Tom Locke to fight anyway? Because maybe he can destroy some of, some of these adversaries. But it seems like he makes the decision, like, I want to live today. But is that out of character, maybe? Well, I think when you are looking at uh, like game theory and and these war games, like it's it's not going to have any benefit if it's a zero sum game. 
And if, you know, so if everyone's destroyed, it didn't serve any purpose. You know, there's not going to be any glory for the Klingons. There's not going to be an enterprise in the on display in Romulus, you know, type of thing. It's everyone's going to be dead. And if I want and if I'm loving the fight and I want to continue fighting, then I have to be alive to do so. And I sort of think that's where Tomalak, because like I see that he likes the gameplay and this chess between the Federation, especially him and Picard, that he wants to continue this game theory type of, you know, interplay between him and the Federation. So I'm seeing that as his overall that that's the difference between the Romulans and the Klingons right the the Klingons might have been like yes. oh game on you know if fire weapons exactly. right? but the, the the Romulans you know if, if the chessboard isn't exactly in the way they want it to be they're not interested but uh, I just want to mention one thing Amy which I was I was laughing as you were speaking because I was reminded of something I wrote in my notes uh, which is at that scene at the end with uh uh Tomalak and Picard Tomalak has like seven lines all of which are variations of Neener Neener Yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Well, he wants to he wants to rub it in his face while he can. <laughs> yeah, cuz well, the last time that he came across Picard and the enemy, you know, he sort of had to leave with his tail between his legs getting caught with his pants down. Oh, well, and it happens again. <laughs> yep, exactly. For a second time. As uh, as I was watching the episode, though, one one thought was in my head as as Picard was ordering them to go into the neutral zone was wouldn't this have been the best possible time to separate the ship? Mm. You know, I, I just, I couldn't, I couldn't get my brain wrapped around why they would bring all the families, you know, into that situation and, and go that way. It just, uh, yeah. I realize it might've just been too much from a production point of view to get it all in there. But that, that's the kind of stuff I think about when I watch some of these episodes, you know, I, I try to. Oh yeah. Realistically, that probably would be what would happen. But every time they have to separate the saucer, it takes up like two minutes of screen time yeah, to do I, it. Yeah, I get you. But I don't know. Also, maybe they've you know all signed their battle release forms for that week. <laughs> <laughs> battle release forms. <laughs> We're all in this together. Don't but, worry. You won't die today. But tomorrow, that's a whole different story. <laughs> but you're right. Yeah. Oh, God. There's probably so many times in TNG where they should be separating the saucer. But they don't. Amy. How about your final thoughts on the enemy and the defector and maybe, you know, thoughts on what we've talked about about the Romulans or or know about them in the next generation? Well, I am so glad to have talked about these two episodes. And yeah, you mentioned Face of the Enemy and that, of course, came into my mind as well as far as like the deception and and the always testing the loyalty of, of the Romulans and and. And you're right, sort of what separates this alien race with the Klingons? Because the Romulans seem so engaged in wanting to be in this war, and and they're raised to hate the Federation, and they're raised to hate the Klingons. And so, like, what, what separates them? And I think in this, we see this constant chess game and this war games and game theory that they're going through this deception that they seem to live for that even more so than the fighting and it's interesting to that how to see Picard go up against this uh, type of adversary um, because then we get to see his chess game come out and his game face you know he tells Riker put on your poker face because we're gonna bluff our (laughs) way through it you know um, and so it brings out uh, a, 
so many different things from Picard and the other characters on TNG um, that I think it's so good. I just, I really enjoy seeing the Romulans um, in TNG because of that. And just, yeah, I, I really enjoy the Romulans. Excellent. Richard, your final thoughts? As we're, as we're discussing this, my perception was uh, for Romulans is that you know they, they like everyone like everyone's saying they like playing these games, but I really think being how old that they get, like what a hundred some odd years. Well, if or they're like whatever, the Vulcans, it's two or three hundred possibly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so a, a very long time. No, <laughs> I just think it just it just strikes me as I, I feel like they're bored <laughs> that they want to come out and. You know, you know what I mean. Yeah. Like they want to come out and play games and be like, "Oh, well, you know, play these skeptical games and and create these deceptions and all that kind of stuff." It makes it sound like they're bored. I can like, totally they, they wanna... see that, like Chain of Command. Yeah. Like, dude, why yeah. are you torturing Picard? Because you're bored. All right, I'm on oh, board. The Cardassians are bored too. Okay. <laughs> yeah, it's like it's it's just like it's like it's like you guys can't like build your society or something like that or, or, you know, create more whatever or art or something like that, but you have to mess with everyone else cause you're bored. So, um, <laughs> I mean, that's, that's the, that's what I, that's the kind of, wait, I have, I have a side comment about that. Cause actually in the, in the novels, there's, there's something, um, I think it's in the novel, Sarek that, that, that sets up what's going to happen in unification, like 75 years later. So there's this idea mm-hmm. that they have these extremely like long-term plans. So maybe they are bored and they're like, you know, to alleviate my boredom in 75 years, let's put this into motion. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> and they got all the time in the world. So uh, especially living 200, 300 years. I mean, that's, that's, that's the one I'm taking from this. I, wow! That, yeah, that's an insight I never thought of. The Romulans are bored. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, maybe that's why. Maybe that's why they like these elaborate plots. It's because they got nothing exactly. but time, right? You it's heard like it here reality first. TV. They only they only play the long game, right? Bored Romulans. Yes. Klingons are all about the now. Romulans are all about like six weeks after next century, right? <laughs> Absolutely. So anyway, John, your final thoughts? Sure. I, I, I loved both of these episodes, uh, but I loved them because I felt like they only gave us, uh, it's like peering into a keyhole into a room. You know, there's certain things you can see very clearly, right? But there's whole areas that we know nothing about. And I, I still feel like even after all 700 and something hours of Star Trek that we've had to this day, that the Rhymelands never got like the exploration that we got like of the Cardassians or the Klingons or a lot of these other races. And I, I always wanted more um, from them because I always felt like there was a lot more there that was so interesting um, and we never got to see it. So I really enjoyed the little glimpses that we got from the defector, from the enemy, and, and even from the face of the enemy, which we've talked about as well. So a question for everyone. I think I know the answer, but so with the announcement recently that there's going to be an expansion of Star Trek series beyond just Discovery, would everyone love to see a series that's set in either the later 23rd century or sometime in the 24th century that has a heavy focus on Romulans? Heck yeah. Yeah. Bring it. I would love that. I'd sign up for that. Richard, would you want that? Or they'd have to tone down the shoulder pads maybe. I I do, but I'm going to keep my excitement low okay okay <laughs> you know just just until it it's happens. not gonna happen but i mean if it did happen you'd like to see that oh right? if it did happen mm, yeah i'd be on board i, for I it. do yeah. hate those romulan uniforms though 
I mean, they're just oh, preposterous. The they're just preposterous. They, they must have like a surplus of fabric, right? <laughs> I mean, what in the world, right? I mean, they look great in TOS, but I, I don't know what happened, you know? It's it's a good question because it it is weird because like oftentimes with the, well, the one we got at first for the Cardassians was weird as well, but I don't know what's going on with sometimes, but I do like that look in TOS and they could have had some kind of modification of it. But like another thing that I think about, like, you know, you hear people getting really worked up about, you know, how Klingons look in different eras. Like, who's raising a fuss about the Romulan brow ridges and where they came from? Like, right? Because that wasn't in TOS at all, but they decided to add that. And I think I was reading about it, and, and it's like Michael Westmore, I think, was like, be cool to have some brow ridges, so let's do it. But it's never explained, and I never hear anybody kick up nearly as much fuss as they do about when Klingons get changed. Anyway. That's right. That's right. Yeah. In the books, they attempt to talk about it. Like, there are different kinds of Romulans, the smooth-headed ones and the brow ridge ones, but they don't really go into it too much. <laughs> I, in, you know, I, I realize this is a whole other topic, but it, it's I, I'm very much of the opinion that Star Trek canon just doesn't exist. I, I, I don't think... Oh, you're opening up a huge canon. I, I realize that, but I mean, I'm, I'm just... That, <laughs> I, I just want to say, I mean, you know, if you really tried to integrate everything we see in the primary source material, it's impossible. Yeah. It is just it is just not possible because so much of it is contradictory. And I agree. You know, it, it, things change, and you know, it, especially when, it, when, especially with as it goes into the future, productions changes, and it, it makes it easier. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah but there, yeah. In, that, I, I'm in agreement to to a certain extent that it's hard to really connect it all together, and especially visually, things have to change. But there are certain boundaries which you need to. Uh, respect like you can't just have a new series and all of a sudden like all Vulcans have three arms or something like that right I mean there has well, to but be that's, that's a big stream I mean that's a bit extreme no, I mean, that's a, I mean, obviously I mean, but I'm saying there there is some boundary between tiny change and huge change <laughs> where you draw that line right and it's a question of where you do because there needs to be some sort of consistency or acknowledging things like you know the Romulan War happened at this such and such a time and the War with the Cardassians of Federation happened at such and such a time and I think they have by and large, been consistent with those kinds of things, with story elements, but not necessarily yeah. visual elements, with some exceptions. Well, <laughs> I, I just, I, I try to take the show on its own terms, right? And and I think that Star Trek as a show has never promised absolute consistency. Um, that That's not, re- that's, that's, I think, something that, that fans uh, looked for, but I don't think it's something that, that they ever felt like they must deliver on, you know? And if they said a, a line in you know, this episode in 1967, then there's somebody who's like checking everything to make sure it's right. I, I, I don't think they've ever really felt bound to that. You know, they've, they've tried right. to honor it when they can, but it's more of a nice to have than a must have. And so I think if you try to, you know, plot together these very, you know, slight threads that we get from like all the way back in the TOS days and say, well, whatever happened to that? And where did this thing show up? You're going to end up in knots. And I I don't think it's a project that could actually be done. That's true. But I do like that there is a certain amount of consistency and continuity, not absolute, but there is a certain amount which does hold things together to an extent. And I like that. And I hope that that kind of thing continues. I'd agree with that. Anyway fascinating little tangent there <laughs> we could talk a lot more sorry about if, that. if people want to so, beat me up on that they can come yell at me on twitter or something <laughs> <laughs> so let me give a few of my final thoughts I, I love these episodes as well i mean i think you guys pretty much said it all i mean they're i think it's like you said john it's like a little kind of window or like looking through the keyhole at who the, the romulans really are and even though we got more of the romulans in tng than anywhere else 
there's still a lot we don't know about them. I'd love to know more about them, but it does seem like there's something, you know, from their history, they've been affected so that they prefer isolation, they prefer deception. But we do even in these episodes see that there are different kinds of, of, of Romulans. And you know what, what I would like to see, I mean, I guess it was a little bit in Deep Space Nine because the Romulans become an ally of the Federation, but I would like to see what it would be like for them to grow closer. Maybe even if you had a series that takes place after Romulus explodes <laughs> and you can see like what happens there and how they have to adjust and all of that. I'd love to see something like that, but I've always been fascinated by them. And um, in fact, when I was on Trek Profiles, I think I said the Romulan female Romulan commander from the Enterprise incident was my favorite guest character. So I just love she was fantastic. Everything about them and wish we had seen some more. Yeah. Yeah. I wish we had seen more in, in TOS. It's like, yeah, it's the ears, but could they have done more than two? But anyway, um, but yeah, I think they're really great as a thread throughout, but I do wish we'd seen more and maybe in the future we will see more. All right, uh, John, where can people find you online? Sure. Uh, they can follow me on the Twitter, which is probably where I'm most active, uh, at Trek Profiles. Uh, in my, that's my show account, which is almost entirely devoted to Star Trek. So you can find me there. And I'm also trekprofiles.com. So you can find me there if you want to read about my podcast and uh, facebook.com slash uh, Trek Profiles as well. So that's pretty much where I can be found everywhere. And also wherever finer podcasts are sold, you can uh, download my podcast. John, thank you so much for coming on. Just it was awesome to talk to you again. And just it's awesome. So thank you so much. Honor to have you. No, it, was, it was a treat for me to be here with uh, the fabulous group at Earl Grey. So thank you all for having me on the show. I really appreciate it. And it was a super treat. So enjoyed it. Yeah. Thank you so much, John. We really appreciate it. You're welcome. So a preview of next week's episode. So we're going to have on a special guest. Tony Robinson, who's the host of the Continuing Mission podcast on Trek FM, and he is also the person that does our wonderful artwork for Earl Grey. So he'll be guesting talking about crew members of the Enterprise D who play musical instruments and what music means to them. So hope you will think about maybe your favorite character that, that plays an instrument on, on TNG and what music might mean to them. And uh, we're going to talk about that next week. I'm pretty sure uh, one... Nella Darren might show up. <laughs> oh. That might be brought up. Han huh, Justin, favorite. Yeah. 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 I was going to talk more about Picard, but sure. <laughs> no, you're right. You're right. I probably should with her keyboard, huh? Well, we all know. Yeah. We'll talk about that next week. <clears throat> anyway. <laughs> well, it's been so much fun talking about the enemy and the defector, but that isn't the only thing we've been talking about here on the network. Here's what you might have missed elsewhere on Trek FM. Previously on Trek.FM. The Edge, a Star Trek Discovery podcast. It's a white uniform, and you're dealing with medical blood, all this other stuff, fluids. Yeah. That thing ain't going to stay white. So in my head, they're treated that it just doesn't even stick. It just repels off it. Earl Grey. So Picard says he won't transfer anyone off the ship, but as a compromise, get ready for this. As a compromise, he will reassign Worf as Wesley's tutor. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> yes. Put some discipline in that boy. Oh my gosh, that's so funny. This is like a choice you could, I, I don't know. I, I would imagine. And I really like this story like now. It? <laughs> yeah. There's, there's more later, but yeah, Worf as Wesley's tutor. Melodic Treks. And, uh, you know, I talked to 
the producers when I first did the show, and the first thing they had me do was take a combination of the dun da 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 da, da you know, Sandy Courage wonderful horn theme, and um, Jerry's da 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 da, you know, his theme for the first movie, and, and make a theme out of those and combine them. So I did it electronically, and they said good enough. And I said, I look, this is not my specialty. And they said, never mind, you got it. So, 18 years later, you know, that was it. The 602 Club. I did definitely feel what you're saying, Matt. Like it was a, a Bond greatest hits in that opening sequence. Um, you've got Russians again, well, or supposed to be in Russia. You've got, um, you know, a group of. Um, terrorists all gathering together about you know all these different weapons and you're trying to id people and then you know we of course bring back in m um and then she's having to argue now with um the government and the military um and then you know i like that they kind of bring in bond in a subtle way calling him white knight this time um that was cool but yeah, I, I think otherwise it feels very familiar, but in a great way, um, I feel like Arnold dealing with the music um, and then the actors as well taking good direction made a lot of intensity in that scene. So you don't feel like you're moving into the film slowly. They're coming at you full force and then, you know, Bond runs off with the plane. Um, so I, I really liked it. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. Check out all these shows and join the conversation about your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe and beyond. You'll find us wherever you get your podcasts. If you're an Apple user, be sure to hit the subscribe button in Apple Podcasts on iPhone, iPad, or Apple TV, or the desktop iTunes app to get the latest episodes as soon as they're published. And please leave us a star rating and written review. That helps others to find the show. If you're not an Apple user, we've got you covered as well. You can find our shows on Google Play Music, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spreaker, SoundCloud, Windows Phone, in most third-party apps, and you can stream and download the MP3 file from our website or grab the RSS link. We'd love to hear your thoughts on today's show, and there are many ways you can do that. The best place to join the larger conversation is the Babel Conference, our listeners group on Facebook. Just type Babel, that's B-A-B-E-L, into the search field on Facebook, and it should come right up. If you'd like to send us an email, you can use the form on our website at trek.fm contact. Choose to send to a show and select Earl Grey. That will come right to us, and we might read your email on the show. You can also find the network on Twitter at TrekFM and on Facebook at Facebook.com slash TrekFM. So Richard, where can people contact you when you're not being confronted by Tomalok in command of a Romulan warbird? I'd fire everything. No, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> well, you guys can find me on Facebook. Uh, I pop in here and there on the Babel Conference. And I am also on Twitter. My handle is xransom. So Amy, where can people contact you when you're not sensing Romulan emotional states for Captain Picard. I think you are lying. I am always sensing. No. <laughs> uh, you can find me here on the network. I co-host The Edge, which is our podcast for Star Trek Discovery. 
I do that with Patrick Devlin. And I am on Twitter at Miss Amy Nelson, and I'm tweeting about my. I am now in season four with my Woo-hoo. DS9. Worf, 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 worf. Took me long enough, but I'm getting through it. Really enjoying it. But my favorite place is hanging out in the Babel Conference, so I can find you there. And Justin, where can people contact you when you're not defecting to the Federation? Defecting? I thought I was already part of the Federation. <laughs> Not today. <laughs> it's our plot. Oh, that's right. I'm sorry. I'm a sub-lieutenant, a logistical officer. Yes, for the yes. Romulans. Yes. <laughs> well, you can find me on Twitter. I'm at TrekFan4747, where I tweet about nothing but Star Trek. Currently tweeting out my season six rewatch of The Next Generation. And you can find me hanging around the Babel Conference on Facebook. If you'd like to help us keep all our shows coming to you each week, you can become a patron of the network on Patreon. Visit patreon.com slash trekfm. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash TrekFM to get all the details. Perks include early access to episodes, exclusive content, producer credits, and more, available through our special patrons website, The Patron Zone. It requires a great deal of money to produce, host, and distribute these shows each month. We really appreciate any support you can give us and hope you'll join the team. Again, you'll find all the details at patreon.com slash TrekFM. We'd like to take this opportunity to recognize our current associate producers, Norman Lau, Justin Ozer, Michael Huter, and Thomas Appel. Thank you for supporting Trek FM and especially Earl Grey. So join us next time for another cup of Earl Grey. Great joy and gratitude. Had I known you were in this sector, I certainly would have advised you before crossing the neutral zone. Today's a good day to die! <laughs> 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 <laughs>